So we don't have a copy of God's Word. Larry is running to the back to grab one. So if you don't have one, he, uh, he, uh, he can uh, hand you one. If you, if you need one, go ahead and put your hand in the air. He'll bring, bring one to you. Um, Luke chapter 10, um, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 42 this morning. The same verses that we looked at last week, but we're focusing on a different character. Last week we focused on Mary, and this week we're going to focus on, on Martha. We've, we've spent uh, time in this passage, verses 25 through 42, talking about what Luke is trying to communicate to us here as is set up by verse 27 of Luke chapter 10. Uh, where the lawyer says to Jesus, uh, uh, he relays the great commandment to Jesus, and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and uh, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So Luke uh, relays that the lawyer speaks this to Jesus as a response to the, the question that the lawyer poses in verse 25, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, which Jesus just turns the question on him, uh, and the lawyer speaks this back to Jesus. Jesus says, you answered correctly, do this and you will live. Um, and then in verse, 20, uh, in verse 29, we have the lawyer wishing to justify himself. So we see, first of all, we see that, that God, or God has inspired Luke to record this sort of interaction between the lawyer and Jesus to give us the setup for the following 18-ish um, verses here in Luke chapter 10. And that verse 27 really is the linchpin for us, right? It really hinges, everything hinges on that verse um, because what follows is going to be a demonstration to us about what it means to love God and to love neighbor. Um, so as we move out of this, then that, that, that small chunk of text in verses 25 through 29, we move into the Good Samaritan, a, a parable that's probably pretty familiar to everyone, um, regardless of your fami the familiarity that you have with the Bible, the Good Samaritan is something that gets referenced a lot even in, our, in popular culture. So the Good Samaritan, um, we see this story of this man who was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, and, uh, and uh, a priest and a Levite pass him by, but the Good Samaritan, this man who was unlike them, um, came along and bandaged this man up uh, and, and tended to his wounds, put him on his beast, and took him to uh, an inn, um, and then followed up and took care of him. And this was to demonstrate what it means to love neighbor, to, to show mercy to, to another regardless of the situation, regardless of, of borders, bloodlines, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of any of these things that externally appear to make us different, Jesus says it is the good neighbor is, or a good neighbor is one who looks right past that and sees everyone's humanity, sees everyone as created in God's image, and is in, uh, in, in as a result of that demonstrates mercy to everyone. That's what it means to love neighbor. And so last week, as we got to, to Mary in verses 38 through 42, we started talking a little bit then about what it means to love God. Right? So we have uh, the understanding of what it means to love neighbor, and then we have the understanding of what it means to love God. And we saw that Mary took this posture. She took a posture of, of sitting at God's feet and to listening to his word, a divine word that was imparted to her uh, through Jesus. Um, she sat there and listened to him, took that on, and we talked a lot about last week, we talked about the, the nature of 
Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. The, the difference in Jesus' ministry, the uniquely uh, unique, the uniqueness of Jesus' ministry in that he allowed a woman to sit at his feet and to hear the things that he had to say that would have been uh, profoundly <coughs> countercultural in that time. Um, and so he allowed her to sit at his feet and to hear. And then that was a direct indicator that pointed us to the fact that God has given everything we need to know about who he is in his word. And we talked a lot about the Bible and what the Bible says about who God is and, and uh, to us and communicates to us. Um, and we talked, we thought a lot about the, the idea of how we are a distracted people who, who our minds go in a million different directions. Throughout the course of the week, we spend very little time reflecting on God's communication of who he is to us in his Word. And actually, we're going to kind of continue that theme this morning as we think about Martha, because she is the example of then the opposite of that, someone who's busy, someone who's caught up in doing, 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 and not sitting at the feet of Jesus and gleaning from the things that he has to say to us in, in Scripture. So as we get to Martha, this is what's going to be, and not necessarily in a, the, the, just for the sake of argument, this is going to be the negative example of what it means to love God beside Mary. The positive example, sitting, resting, trusting Jesus. And we see Martha as the negative example. And so we're going to flesh this out this morning because I think that there's some more, there's nuance here that we need to discuss in this text that's a little bit, that moves us a little bit farther away from just, um, well, it's black and white. I think that there's nuance here that we need to, that we need to discuss and talk about. So we have this thesis statement in verse 27, especially the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. This comes directly to us from Deuteronomy chapter 6. A devout Jew, anyone who was, who was listening or reading this text would, would, would think about the fact that, that, that this is the greatest commandment given in, in, uh, in Deuteronomy 6 and that a, a, uh, a devout Jew would actually recite this daily, twice a day, in order to um, recall that this was the greatest commandment. So as we move into the, let, let's read the text. Let's read verses 38 through 42 and, and think about the things that are written here uh, to us, um, divinely inspired by the Spirit through the ser God's servant, Luke. Verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated in the Lord, at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So as we look at this text, this drives us then to sort of a big idea which stands sort of in direct opposition to what we talked about last week. And so I think you should throw up the last week's big idea just so we can see these two together because I think it's important to think about this. Okay, so we see this in the text. Last week we talked about Mary again. And this is what we said about Mary. Mary's interaction with Jesus gives us an example of a restful, trusting, instructable posture that teaches us about loving God. 
when we said coming out of Mary is that it's, this is not a, a matter of not being busy or finding ourselves in, in a world that, that rejects or, or, uh, or doesn't fulfill the obligations that are placed on us, but rather is in a position of our work and the place that we live, the things that we do are not, are not achieving salvation for us. They are, they are, the world in which we live is one that is prioritized well and thought about well and understood to be um, a direct result of what God has done for us in Jesus and not vice versa. And so that moves us to the big idea this week as we think about Martha just standing in opposition to Mary's interaction with Jesus. Martha's interaction with Jesus gives us an example of a distracted, self-reliant posture that keeps us from loving God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to think about Martha in those terms this morning as we look at verses 38 through 42. So just a couple of ideas that are contained within that big idea. Just the, the notions of being distracted and the notion of being self-reliant. Those two ideas are going to, 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 to sort of guide our time together this morning. So let's think then about each of those. Let's think about being distracted and, and what that means. Look in verse 40. Let's just read verse 40 again. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. So literally in this text when it says, when Luke writes, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Literally that's saying that she is distracted with much serving. She's distracted with much serving. She is serving, much serving, and she is distracted by it. And so as we even look at verse 40, we start to think, well, okay, so what's wrong with this picture then? What's wrong with this picture is not that Martha is, not that Martha is serving. What's wrong with this picture is that Martha is prioritizing incorrectly. Her priorities are all out of whack, and that becomes really apparent to us as we see um, further her interaction with Jesus. This points us directly to who Jesus is claiming to be. And as we see throughout Luke's Gospel, if you take some time this week or, or over the course of the next month and just read Luke's Gospel, you see that, that Jesus is building the argument for Him as God, for Him as Savior. Luke is showing clearly throughout the course of this book that Jesus is God and has the ability to save His people. And so, when we look at this, um, it shows us clearly who Jesus is claiming to be. He says to Martha that Mary has chosen the good portion, if you look at verse 42. Well, what does that mean? It means that Jesus was there and was teaching them about how to inherit eternal life, and she was, uh, and she was worried about frosting her cupcakes, right? She was worried about the things that, that she was doing. Well, the, the very life that she so desperately needed was being proclaimed by the, by the one who was going to give her that life through the action that he was going to take on the cross. She was going to inherit or had the potential to inherit eternal life through what Jesus was going to do and who he's claiming to be. And she was uh, baking a quiche or cleaning the bathroom. And the instruction was not meant to shame Martha, right? This is not meant to shame Martha. He's not like, Martha, you fool. That's not what Jesus says. It's not meant to shame her by telling her that she was unimportant. Or what she was doing was unimportant, which is not as important. So Martha's priorities seem to be out of whack here. 
Think with me, if you, if you think back a couple of books in the Bible to the first gospel that the Bible gives us in, in Matthew. Matthew's account of, of the life and, and the things that Jesus did. In, the, in, in chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But he doesn't say, seek only. I think we get that wrong. I think sometimes in our world we think to ourselves, only seek that which, which, but he's saying, he's saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. If you quit your job and ignore your family and never take out your trash in the name of loving God, you've missed the point entirely. God has given us things in our world to steward. He's given us families. He's given us careers. He's given us places in which that we reside and has given us clear and concise commands about carrying out the things that he desires for us to do in our world. Again, we say frequently that what God has done in us, he now desires to do through us. We can only have that properly in perspective if we are thinking about who God is and seeking his kingdom first. But it does not mean that we discard everything else and shirk responsibility. <coughs> so when Jesus, when Jesus comes to Martha, he's not saying, your serving is irrelevant. What he says to her is, you're distracted and wor worried about things, but Mary has chosen the good portion. We talked about this a little bit last week when we thought about the, the nature of I posed this question or gave the scenario or some, somehow we talked about it. I think a lot of us think to ourselves if Jesus walked through the front door this morning and started talking to us that we would be more inclined to listen to him and to what he's saying. I don't think that's true. One, because I think we have tons of like biblical examples of people who were like really proximate to Jesus and didn't hear a word he said. The disciples do this time and time and time and time again, where they where they 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 think Jesus is saying something, but like, really, is he saying that? And then they forget about it five minutes later and go off and do something bogus and crazy. That's sort of the pattern that's established in the in the world that that Jesus is inhabiting. But we, as a people who who have trusted Christ, have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us, and part of the role of the Spirit of Christ is to, to illumine Scripture to us. This is God's Word. It is living. It is active. God has given this to us. Again, I mentioned this last week when Peter was, Peter was, uh, was present with, with Jesus. They, Jesus sort of had this group of disciples. He had 12 disciples, right? But in the inner circle, there were three guys that Jesus spent a little bit more time with. He built into Peter, James, and John, those three guys. And he actually took those guys up with him onto a mountain and took them to the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus was transfigured before their eyes, which means to say he took on his heavenly body. He took on his heavenly body. And that, that nobody's like reacting like, wow, that's awesome. And so I, you're thinking about it. But here's the, here's the thought. That Jesus took on his heavenly perfect body that was never going to decay, that was never going to break down, that was never going to die. He took that on up there. Peter witnessed that with his very eyes, and then he writes later in his life that we have something more sure than even that experience. That's God's Word. He wrote that to us. He was divinely inspired by the Spirit of Christ and said, these words on this page that I'm writing to you that are inspired by God, these are more sure, these are more certain than even me seeing Jesus take on his heavenly body and top that mountain. It's a phenomenal truth. We don't act like that, right? We don't act like that in our, in our world. 
And we start to think like, like our priorities get all out of whack because we don't believe that to be true about what we're reading in front of us this morning. So again, quitting your job and ignoring your family and never taking it out of the trash, it's just falling off the other side of the horse. What we want to do is put this in proper perspective and understand this is sufficient for every area of our lives and that everything that we need to know about who God is, who we are, and then what God requires of us is contained here in the pages of Scripture. So what's the proper perspective then to have? Two steps, right? They're contained within verse 27 of Luke 10. Love God by knowing Him through His Word. That's it. That's step one. Love God by knowing Him through His Word. And then step two, love others and serve them as an overflow of step one. Love God and serve others as an overflow of step one. Jesus said that He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So for Martha, she needed to understand that before she could serve, she needed to be served. And this is going to point us directly to who we are in this text, right? We see who God is. God is someone who comes and who imparts his word to us and says, I want to intimately know you and I'm going to communicate truth about who I am. And then in this text, we see who we are. I think a lot of times we come to, I'm going to talk about this later, but this is a perfect place I think a lot of times we come to this text and we say to ourselves, well, are you a Mary or are you a Martha? That's not what this text is saying. This text is saying you're all Marthas. This text is saying all of us are distracted. All of us put on, take on this, this notion of, well, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do, when we should be seated and understanding and thinking about what God has communicated, the truth that God has communicated about who he is in his word. So the realization for Martha was that she needed to understand that she was not here to serve, but to be served in this situation. Just like Jesus came to serve, this is exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, I came to serve, uh, or not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Martha needed to recognize that, that truth. She needed to be served by having her sin problem dealt with, the distracted problem with prioritizing. She needed to have that dealt with. This distracted, self-reliant heart of stone in Martha and for us subsequently needs to be replaced with a well-prioritized, Christ-reliant rather than self-reliant heart of flesh. And if the command is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength, mind, all of those things are pointing us to loving God with our entire being. It's called to love God with our entire being, not just what you deem appropriate at any given point. So like this life that I think that a lot of us do this, I do this in my world, a life that sort of rides this fence between well-intentioned um, and then distracted and then uh, self-reliant and then Christ-reliant is, is not one that keeps the command. Right? We are not keeping the command by riding that fence and thinking to ourselves, well, over here in this world, I want control of this, and over here in this world, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. So maybe you're asking yourself then, as we think about this, how can I be well prioritized and Christ reliant in every area of my life? Because that's what the call is, right? The call is to be well prioritized and Christ reliant in every area of your life. And the realization, the harsh realization that we come to, even in this text, is ultimately we can't. Ultimately we can't be that. At least in this life. 
And this is why the gospel is so important and why we need to keep the gospel in front of our eyes every single moment of every single day. Jesus did these things perfectly, right? He was perfectly prioritized. He, he understood his relationship with God the Father and he understood his relationship with others as an overflow of what that, of what that relationship looked like. But outside of Jesus, we're completely incapable of prioritizing correctly and relying on God. But in Christ, if we're in Christ, we trust in Christ to deal with that sin problem for us and not rely on ourselves to, to remove that from us. If we trust in Christ and His work on the cross, then we're being transformed into the image of Christ, uh, the one who did these things and did them perfectly. And although that like transformation process won't be fully realized here on earth, it's not going to be fully realized here on earth, Christ is the way to inherit a life that is everlasting and will be marked by perfect love for God. So in verse 27, when you keep the law perfect, when, you, when, when Jesus says to keep the law, or what does the law say, how do you read it? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. All of that can only come through um, experiencing relationship with Jesus. Um, and even then, it won't be fully realized here on this life, but it is pointing us towards uh, an, an eternal life and an everlasting life that will be marked by this perfect love that we will then have for God. So this is the first part then, right? This is the first part. This is the understanding of, of Martha and her distraction and how we as a people relate directly to her position in the way that she was thinking about her world. But secondly then, the self-reliant notion that Martha has, right? And this is, this is just as a result of the priorities being off. This is a result of not having things lined up properly in our, in our world. Martha, clearly, her world is confused, right? Being served, just as Jesus says, it didn't come to be served, but to serve. Being served is what's necessary here for Martha, but she was serving. She was, she under, she was thinking along the lines of, okay, Jesus is here now, I need to serve him. But when she needed to take the same posture as Mary, to sit at Jesus' feet and to hear his words. Rather than understanding what Jesus was there to accomplish, not only in this short amount of time that he would spend with Martha in her home, but overall for all people in all times, um, rather than understanding what he was there to accomplish, this sort of like betrays her, her self-reliance. She's saying, I'm relying on myself in this moment. If something is going to get done, if I'm going to get the quiche in the oven, if I'm going to frost the cupcakes and clean the bathroom, um, if that's going to get done, I'm going to have to do it. And I think that points us directly to our position when we think to ourselves, um, boy, uh, this week I really screwed up. I yelled at my kids. My wife and I, we had a fight. Um, and, and things did not go well this week. We think to ourselves, how can I correct that? How can I correct that? How can I tip the scale? How can I balance this out? And part of this is part of this notion of self-reliance and, and sort of trying to move the scale back is just the, the, the understanding that we as a people just can't do that. That's impossible. It's simply impossible. 
part of the fruit of this too, this self-reliance that we look at in our in our world and we think to ourselves, I gotta do that, I gotta do it, I got if it's gonna get done, I have to be the one to do it. Unfortunately, this leads to, and we see this directly in Martha's sort of interaction with Jesus, it leads us away from the self um, or or a Christ-reliant position, and it leads us from that self-reliant position to a self-important position. Think about the way that Jesus interacts with, with, with Martha now. Think about what she's concerned about, right? She sort of looks at Mary and says, hey, what she's doing right now is worthless. In verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to do all the serving? And tell her to help me. This self-reliance, this do-do-do mentality has led her to this self-importance where she's taken her position and she has compared it to her sister. She thinks to herself, she needs to be serving, but she's just sitting there. So Martha's misunderstanding of her own need, right? Her own need led her to the construction of sort of this hierarchy, this, this comparison game that made her activity seem more important than the activity of Mary. Or sort of like implied here, right? She's, she's saying, look at, she, just in what she says, she says, look at what Mary's doing. She's not helping. Why is she not helping? That implies that Martha believed that her activity was somehow higher or, or better than that of her sister. And Jesus actually flips that on its head, right? And he says, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken from her. She was there hearing the words of God being imparted to her about how she could inherit eternal life. Well, Martha was off serving. So we see this, this self-reliance, then moving into this self-importance, and then leading ultimately to what Jesus says to her in verse 41, that she is worried and bothered about so many things. So this self-reliance to self-importance to this worry and this bother, this worry and bother does not have what's necessary in view. Jesus says in verse 42, only one thing is necessary. And that one thing is to hear the words of life that Jesus was imparting. And it begins to play this comparison game. Look at what the other person is doing. They should be doing what I'm doing. Their priorities are mixed up when, when it's actually our own. From self-reliance to self-importance to worry and bother. From the I can mentality to only I can mentality. To others should be doing what I'm doing mentality. And this believes that this takes us to some takeaways this morning. I'm going to give you just a couple of them. And they're actually sort of just like statements related to what we're talking about. And they're not necessarily like, um, they're, they're meant to prompt thought throughout your week. They're meant to prompt thought throughout your week. So the first one is just this. Self-reliance which leads to, which is what we talked about, self-reliance, which leads to self-importance and then worry and bother. Just like Martha's world, this is toxic. This is a toxic understanding. So this self-reliance, when you think about, okay, what I need to do right now is be serving, when, when in fact we need to be sitting and hearing the words of Jesus spoken clearly to us, 
It drains our soul, it robs us of our joy, and it leaves us in a cycle of ongoing frustration, right? So as Buffalo City Church, what we need to be doing is constantly cutting out. And the, the root of it is the self-reliance. We need to be cutting out the self-reliance and say, I am not reliant upon myself to achieve my own salvation. I'm completely reliant on who Christ is and what he has done for me. But as a church, as a body, if we do this together, if we, if we don't cut it out, if we rely strictly upon ourselves, then we will be demobilized and we will not carry out the mission of reaching Jamestown, right? That's not going to happen because what we're going to do is we're going to get bogged down, we're going to get robbed of our joy, we're going to be energyless, and we're just going to wring our hands and we're going to be so worried about what people on, our, on either side of us are doing or thinking about, we're going to be worried and bothered about what they're doing because of our own self-importance and self-reliance, and we're not going to do anything. We're going to miss the good part that can, cannot be taken away. We're going to be missed the words of life that Jesus is speaking to us through his word that is compelling us out into our community. So let me just encourage you right now, just hear me out. A lot of you have been, a lot of you have been part of a church context or, or maybe just in a relationship with another Christian that's been really toxic. That has not been, not been God-honoring, not been uh, Christ-exalting. So a place where maybe you felt judged or shamed or guilty all of the time and everything that you do, every, every interaction that you have is just, is just taken and plucked and your heart is just uh, bogged down in, in guilt or condemnation. So I want to I offer just this thought that Scripture does give the local church the ability to call out and address and deal with sinful behavior, right? But for a lot of us in context that we found ourselves in, what's being called out, what's being pointed out, what's being given to us as, uh, as, a, as grounds for our guilt and our condemnation is not sinful. If the Bible does call sin, sin, then the church should too, and that's not different in this, in this uh, context. But if we're in a if we're a church that openly judges one another, shames one another, or condemns one another because of decisions that are not sinful, so like just some examples: decisions to send your kids to a particular school, or decisions uh, to shop at certain stores, or decisions to support a certain political candidate, or decisions that you made that no one could that no one could open up Scripture and look at this and tell you this is a sinful activity based on based on what God has given to us in, our, in, in His Word, then that type of mentality in the local church is crippling and debilitating because it makes us cynical. It makes us look at others on our left and our right and say, that person doesn't care, that person doesn't care. I'm worried and bothered about what they're doing because of our own self-reliance and because of our own self-importance. That is like the direct enemy to what we're trying to achieve, to live together here in community, to do life together, to be actively engaging one another, to be caring out the one another's in Scripture, to love one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good works, to bear one another's burdens. 
And when you hear us say at Buffalo City Church, we want to be marked by togetherness and exist together in an authentic relationship, you might be saying to yourself, you might be saying, yeah, right. I don't believe it. People are messed up. People, are, people have made me feel condemned, judged, shamed in every place that I've ever gone. This is the cynicism that comes through. Here's what's difficult about following Jesus and his commands. They're not easy. That doesn't keep us from seeking to adhere to them, right? It doesn't keep us from following what he has given to us. So why in our interpersonal relationships within the context of the local church is that any different? Why is our relationship with a person on the left and the right any different? We say it's hard to follow Jesus. We say that we, say that we give our money sacrificially. We say that we, we live lives of obedience. We love God. And we set aside time. And we get up early, extra early in the morning when our kids have been up all night long to read our Bible, to spend time with God and His Word. We adhere to those commands, but then we look at the commands to love one another, and we say, no, people, people, are, people just suck. They just take me, and they drain me, and they, they turn me off. To, uh, to what I need to be as a person. I've been shamed, condemned by them. This is, this is the truth of the gospel. We're looking at people who might be doing this to us because they're sinful in nature. Just like Buffalo City Church, as a family, again, if we want to be marked by togetherness and exist together in an authentic relationship, we have to be doing that regardless. Here's, just think about this. Are people going to say something insensitive and make you feel like garbage? Yeah, they are. They are. It's going to happen. You're going to walk away from this place on a Sunday morning and feel like, man, I was not encouraged or built up today. <coughs> Does that mean we as a people just shut down? No. That's not what that means. We as a body are striving to be Christ-like in our interactions with one another, Striving to build one another up, striving to encourage, but we need to have the correct realization that the people around us are not perfect. The people that we interact with on a regular basis are not perfect. They are being transformed. God is, has a, them on a path to Christ's likeness just like you. Is someone going to ignore you in a moment of need? Yes, absolutely. I've probably done it to every single one of you. I'm sorry. But I'm not perfect. Is someone going to make you feel smaller and significant? Yes. But again, that's not the point. Jesus didn't say to love others when they don't make you feel like garbage. He didn't say, go love your neighbor when he or she doesn't make you feel like garbage. There's no condition there's no condition. We put other conditions on it too. You didn't smile at me this morning. She didn't smile at me this morning. She's not always agreeing with me. You want to be people who are striving together to do these things, but they're not always going to happen. They're just not. And that's no reason to disengage. Jesus certainly didn't put any restrictions on his love, and this is, the, this is the foundational truth that drives us here. Jesus didn't put any restrictions on his love for us. He died for us, though 
our entire existence was in opposition, direct opposition, active opposition to God. Our sinfulness, God is completely and perfectly holy. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. The very essence of who we are is in direct opposition to who He is. And that didn't stop Jesus. In His earthly ministry, people sought to kill Jesus. They beat Jesus. They betrayed Jesus. They denied Jesus. They mocked Jesus. They shamed Jesus. And they murdered Jesus. No one in this room has experienced that much opposition. And yet He still died for His people to redeem us. To move us out of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. God did this for us. He put up His own Son so that we could be called His friend, His brother, His sister, His co-heirs. We will experience the same inheritance as Jesus Christ. We will rule and reign together with God the Father in eternity. We grumble. We say to ourselves, I'm a person, they didn't interact with me the way that I want them to. Then we ignore the command to love one another. I hope you see where we're going, where we come with this. Like that that this self-reliance that leads to self-importance and to this worry and this bother and considering others and, and just like Martha when she says, you see my sister, she's just sitting there and she's not serving. I have to do this all by myself. And Jesus says, I'm imparting the words of life to her. If you would hear these two, your posture, your position would be very, very different. There's a warning here and it's clear. We are all capable of making others feel like garbage. I guess it's the bathroom break time. We are, all, we are all capable of making others feel like garbage. And our inclination is to look at others around us and believe something in you. Something in you. We, we all do this almost every moment of every day. Something in me is better. Something in me, a decision, a quality, a trait, and your intelligence is better than someone else. And it says that you believe yourself to be capable of being self-reliant, of saving yourself. This leads to the self-importance and it leads to comparing and to being bothered and worried about what others are doing and not focusing on who God is and what He is communicating to us about who He is and who we are and what He's commanded us in His Word. And we need to be aware that the self-reliance is a toxic cycle that again will demobilize us and cause us to turn inward with cynicism and frustration. Are we going to do that? Are we going to allow ourselves? Are we going to allow that to happen? No, we need to press in heavily to the Spirit of Christ. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us if we are in Christ and has the ability to move us from this self-reliance to total, utter, complete Christ reliance. Okay. So we're going along, so I want to give you this last takeaway very briefly. Again, just something for you to think about this, this, this week. We need to reorient our priorities in light of what God has done for us in Jesus. That's simple. That, that seems like a basic thing to say. In light of the gospel, we need to reorient our priorities. 
And this was needs to be this is what needs to be said here. When looking at this text, the takeaway isn't that you're either a Mary or Martha, like we said earlier. It's that we're all Marthas. We're all in desperate need. We all have our we all need to have our priorities reoriented. The only a divine act of love in Jesus Christ can do that. And that's our starting place for the, the following discussion that we're going to have here. Okay. This is what I'm not saying. I don't want you to go from here and say, serving is unimportant. Right? Like we talked about earlier, this is priorities. This is about priorities. Serving others is incredibly important. Loving our neighbor is a very active process. And we saw with the Samaritan, he came alongside this guy who was beaten on the side of the road and took care of him. But we said that we are compelled to show mercy based on the mercy that's been shown to us. And then the, the, the admonition to the lawyer by Jesus is to go and do the same. If you understand the mercy that's been shown to you in Jesus, you will go and do the same. But serving is just behavior modification if done with motivation that isn't a response to the gospel. It's just behavior modification. Part of like a service organization in college, there's like ask people, like, hey, what's your motivation for serving? And without fail, they would say, because it makes me feel good. Everybody. Everyone's response. It makes me really feel good to serve people. It's not the goal. The goal isn't to. Because you're not serving others, you're serving yourself. You're serving yourself if the goal of serving or what the result of it is to, is to make you feel good. A response to the gospel, it, it, it demands that we show mercy in the same way that Jesus has shown mercy. With no gain for ourselves, but for God's glory. So, again, and we see this in text, Martha wasn't serving because of her understanding of the gospel. She was serving because of her self-reliance. She said, Jesus is here. I need to serve him in order to love God and obtain eternal life. And that's the approach that we have all too God often. So please, listen to this. There, there are too many of us here that are drowning in guilt. We feel like when we, when we talk about, at Buffalo City Church, when we talk about serving, we talk about being on mission, we talk about looking for opportunities to love people that we engage in, you just feel guilty. It's like, I feel guilty. Why am I not doing this? Because we see people in need all around us, but we're not always available or able to help them. And it, the response to that is, that's okay. Like, that's okay. It's okay. It's not, it's not a, an argument or a reason to not serve other people, but it's okay. You don't need to feel guilty. You talk about looking for opportunities to serve others, but don't serve others because you're drowning in guilt. Serve out of response to the gospel. Serve out of the, mercy, the, the response to the mercy that's been shown to you in Jesus Christ. A response to the gospel doesn't serve out of guilt. The gospel removes the blinders from our self-focused eyes and allows us to put ourselves in a position of the man in the Good Samaritan, the man who's beaten on the side of the road, who is uh, in, needed to be demonstrated mercy to. And then we're compelled to go and do the same. If guilt is motivation for loving God and loving neighbor, then you haven't believed the gospel. You haven't. If self-reliance and self-importance and bother or worry is your motivation for loving God and loving your neighbor, then you haven't believed the gospel. The gospel takes those things away. We believe, but our unbelief is showing. In the gospel, guilt has no place. 
It has no place. Guilt has no place. If there's any area of your life that you are motivated out of guilt, put it aside. Put that aside. We have been justified. It's like a courtroom, right? You go into the that's, that's the language, right? You feel guilty. You go to this courtroom and you're declared guilty. And you're doing that to yourself on a daily basis when if you are in Christ, you have been justified. You've gone before the judge and jury and you have been declared not guilty. Even place on trial and the verdict is not guilty. Not because of us, not because of our self-reliance, not because of the things that we do or the, th the ways that we act or something that's innate within us, but because we've been made right because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And in the gospel, just as guilt has no place, self-reliance has no place either. Worry and bother that are that follow self-reliance are not gospel fruit. We know what the fruit of the Spirit is. Worry and bother, they reveal our insecurity and our belief. But the gospel purges our self-reliance by showing us to be half-dead on the side of the road in desperate need of mercy. That mercy has been shown to us in Jesus. And so just the last two things you see up on the screen behind me. You just go to the takeaways. Perfect. Just the last two things. This is what I want you to, 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 to marinate in this week. Loving God means casting aside our self-reliance and proclaiming, I can't do it. I can't do it. How many times through the course of your day do you look at things and say, I can't do it. I'm not talking about like fixing a flat tire or frosting cupcakes, but achieving salvation, generating righteousness. How many times have you looked at that every day and proclaimed, I can't do that. I don't do it far often enough. So loving God means casting aside the self-reliance and proclaiming, I can't do it. That was Mary's posture. She sat at the feet of Jesus. She heard what he had to say. She heard the words of life that were spoken by Jesus. Martha's posture was the opposite. There's then the second one there. Loving God means casting aside our guilt and proclaiming, I'm free. I'm free. I've been declared not guilty because of what Jesus has done for me. So the gospel, it transforms us from a guilty, condemned, this is it guys, Gospel, it transformed us from a guilty, condemned, self-reliant, self-important deadness. Transforms us to a free, loving, Christ-reliant, self-sacrificial, peaceful posture. I can't stress that enough. Gospel fruit... It's not worry or bother or guilt or self-reliance. It's freedom. It's the understanding that we are incapable in of ourselves. It's this loving, Christ-reliant, self-sacrificial, peaceful life. Let's pray.